Reef Therapy by Reef Builders is brought to you by ICP Analysis. What's in your water? Jake, how's it going, man? What's going on, Mark, man? We had a, had a nice week off, mostly because I didn't have that much to talk about. And I didn't have that much to talk about this weekend. I was like, oh, we can talk about this. And why do we don't have that much to talk about? Because we want to uh, dive in to the art of coasting with your reef tank, right? It, it's really fun, especially when you just start out the hobby. First year or two, all you can think of is eat, sleep, reef. And then, then as you know, life comes along, you find ways to just like kind of enjoy your tank from a distance. And so that's what we're going to be talking about um, a little bit later in this session of reef therapy. Sounds like a good plan. Uh, yeah. I would I would say I have not been coasting well with my aquarium these last couple of weeks, but uh, you know I I've had my phases where I do, and uh, so I feel like it's a good subject we can get into, and maybe and I should famously uh, coined the phrase benign neglect, which. I, I don't know why that's really stuck f with me because it's not neglect, but it is benign because you can't just always be doing something. Sometimes that yeah. tank just needs you to leave it the freak alone. And, um, but before we get into that, what have you been up to? Oh man. <clears throat> uh, man, I got a lot of little bullet points about my aquarium. Um, let's see. I broke up my little NSA aquascape. I don't know if we talked about that last week. Um, but uh, uh, just you know, give us a recap of what NSA stands for, what you did, the gluing process, sure. and then how you turned came around, came full circle to uh, no more. Yeah, and a lot of this boils back to stick to your original intent. But anyway, um, so I I thought a lot of the stuff I saw online and people doing these really neat, uh, let's call them rock sculptures, right? Where um, that's I a mean, fair, what, fair description, yeah. Yeah, so NSA negative space aquascape, right? Um, I don't know what you would consider a good definition of that, but it's um, it's essentially um, the idea that's easy. of that's yeah. easy. That's when there's more open water than you know actual stuff in the tank. Okay, there you go. Um, <laughs> um, but one of the common things you'll see is like um, a rock sculpture and sort of like the shape of a tree with branches coming out of it. Dude, right. That, so that, I've seen, I've seen that so much. It's yeah. like, it's like, there's no other ideas out in the world. Yeah. And it's cool from a, you know, you got all these little overhangs and all that stuff. Um, so I needed to break up a bunch of my rock work to get it to fit in my tank. And I got creative with some super glue and sand. And I think we talked about it in a previous episode, but, mm -hmm. um, Title Gardens did a great video on how to how to sculpt with this high viscosity glue, where you can glue two rocks together almost instantly with some oolite sand. But low um, viscosity, very sorry. Low. Wouldn't that be high viscosity? High viscosity would be super thick. Oh, okay. We don't um, have to stick. I mean, I might be wrong. Yeah, yeah. So, but it, it had it's like a, almost like rubbing alcohol. It's, it even looks thinner than like water in a cup. But, um. So I built one of these trees thinking that would be kind of fun, but I, I just didn't like it. It actually, you know, I mean, no surprise, a negative space aquascape would have less room to mount and grow corals and give them room to grow. Um, the overhangs create areas where, yeah, you could put some shade tolerant corals, but it just, it just didn't, didn't jive with me. I don't know. I, 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 I ended up 
rejecting it. So I took that rock out, I broke it up into its original pieces, and I actually put the most boring pile of rocks in the middle. But well, let, me, let me ask you, there, Brett Mark, did you did you use some dry rock? Was it, was this live rock? Was it seeded or was it cured rock? I've had some challenges with uh, some dry rock lately, and uh, I just I really feel like I'm gonna need, go, need to go back to my live rock roots. <laughs> uh, I would say it was a little bit of everything. Old rock from my old tank, some new rocks I picked up from the fish store when I set up the new tank. Um, you know, it's just a mix. Um, anyway, much happier with that. Uh, one of the more arguable, if it's true or not, but it's in my brain and so I believe it is, um, a lot more natural behavior suddenly coming out of my uh, pygmy angel, my flame angel, darting in out of those rocks. Um, and that's the other thing about these NSAs is they're sculptures, but unless you're, you know, depending on how you glue it all together, there's not a lot of hidey holes for fish when you do this that. This is so true. This is one of the reasons I'm really looking forward to working with the uh, Tropica Eden Morocco rock um, because our our man-made carob sea rock and Marco just, I mean, Marco is like perforated, right? And so is the carob sea mm -hmm. and, and real reef, but it's not like crevices and little caves and stuff to, for micro fish to really get into. And when you get really all in on NSA, you just end up with this trunk, <laughs> this trunk with branches coming off and there's like no crevices for fish to go into. And I thought that was a really cool observation from you about the behavior of your fish changing just like that. Yeah. It's, I mean, this, this guy would, swim more like a tang, you know, just kind of pace the tank. And now he's, he's using the holes to get around the reef, right? So he kind of mm -hmm. darts in and out and he's kind of formed like, okay, I can go from this cave to that cave to that cave. Um, so that was kind of cool. Um, I reduced the, um, output on my lights. Um, and again, this goes back to, I had the intent of just going with a low maintenance LPS softy tank, which is what the predecessor tank was. And I was quite happy with that outcome. But then, you know, you set up a new tank and your brain goes crazy and tries negative space aquascapes and, you know, this and that. And then I put on a new set of lights I'd never used before and I started tinkering with that. And, uh, but you know, we, a while back we were discussing, you know, some of the classic corals, like, you know, you're just your discosomas and stuff like that. And I have these, uh, just old school blue discosomas that, you know, they were okay, but they weren't, they're not in their prime, like mm -hmm. remo form. And so then I started pulling out the parameter and kind of thinking, okay, well, yes, I've got some acros high up. Um, you know, it is a mixed reef, but what if I, bring the par down to maybe something that things like mushrooms and some of the lower light corals. I mean, cause, and don't get me wrong. Like I think leathers and sinularia and all that love high intensity lighting in my opinion. But, um, what if I, instead of favoring the upper end of par, like I go down and still, I'm still in a range where the SBS I think are content. Um, and just see how those, um, some of those things like discosomas and stuff start to react. Um, now the, hard part about the Kessels is they have such good penetration that the difference in par from my sand bed and the top, and probably because I'm using those narrow reflectors, um, is only like 20 to 50 micromoles. <laughs> so I can't that's really very, affect. That's a very yeah. small difference from top to bottom. 
Yeah, and the 50 is on the outer edges by the glass where there's reflection, whereas you get more in the center bottom, it's definitely, uh, or sorry, um, 20, 20 micromole difference between the top. But once you get in the center, you only get about 50. So even if I have 200 at the top, I'm getting like 180 uh, down where I wanted to put some of the lower light stuff. So I'm kind of going through my brain, like, do I lower the lights and go with a wider reflector and see if that gives me more of a disparity? Um, I don't know. But so I, I brought the I brought the output down just a little bit. Um, and then the other thing that I'm really struggling with is I cannot register nitrates, man. I'm dosing. I'm feeding. Um, Add some sand to your tank. <laughs> I have, I have crushed coral. Like that's supposed to be a nitrate factory, right? I've got the first thing coral. that came to mind. I'm just like, just add more sand. It will catch up. <laughs> it's um, which is another reason I think some of those things, like the discosomas, are not in their primo form because they could probably benefit yeah. from a little bit of that. So, just you know, I think again, it's, tinkering it's, um, probably misguided to say that oh, this is too much light for my discosomas when in the past we've had troubles with, you know, different discosoma varieties, doesn't matter which type, uh, kind of encroaching on your SPS in a metal halide aquarium. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's really easy to point the finger at too much light, but I, I mean, I'm still all learning all this, relearning all this stuff. Um, Definitely little doses of nitrates and certain traces will just get them to puff up. But definitely some uh, organic matter in the water, that'll make them super happy. Yeah, and I mean, I've had these blue mushrooms lingering on rocks that, you know, throughout my different tanks since the metal halide days. It's not like I went out and bought new ones. Um, and you're right. I mean, they did all right under the halides. So, but, you know, I just keep hearing people giving these crazy par recommendations for different tank types so i thought all right i'll i'll try you know um maybe maybe the higher par back in the day worked better because there's also higher nutrients and now i've got zeroed out nitrates with high par and maybe i got to meet somewhere in the middle where i increase my nutrients but i bring the energy that i'm blasting those corals with down to so that i bring the rate of sort of like um You've got the highlight planet tanks where you've got to dose a bunch of crap. You got to add a bunch of CO2. And then you've got like the more Wallstad method tanks where you bring the lighting down and just let the uh, rate of photosynthesis be slower, right? So you don't have to if dose there's and any, all that stuff. Um, gearheads out there, uh, it's so comparable to driving a car, right? You want to drive a car faster, you got to turbo inject the fuel. You have to add a lot of oxygen you got to get rid of a lot of exhaust and heat you know there it's it's you can't just move one slider right a lot of of sliders have to move in unison and it's the same with uh corals yeah um, but on the flip side i know we've talked about challenges with shrooms but i i set up a or I earmarked one section of what was formerly my fish quarantine system. I've um, got anemones throughout, um, some medium light corals in the middle. And on the bottom, there's two different sections of this 48-inch tank. And on the left is the shroom room. And on the right is the chalice palace, which is funny because those are totally taken from like Facebook groups. Um, but one is filled with chalices. The other one is filled with uh, discosomas, rodactus, and recordia. Oh, my goodness. The par in there, man. Just eyeballing it. It, it cannot be over 30. 
<laughs> oh, really? It cannot be over the maybe 50 micromoles at most, but it's so dark in there. And the, the shrooms, and they're all just so big. I need to like add a little, um, I have a lot of purple redactus. I got purple redactus. I got purple redactus with like a slight green rim, another rock of purple redactus with like some spots and stuff, but they just look black. <laughs> they look black under that blue light. So I need to introduce just a, 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 a touch of white lighting um, to make some of those uh, more rosy tones kind of come out but the chalice on the other side man having been diving and seeing chalices in all kinds of environments you will never find a chalice just exposed unless the water is incredibly turbid which it, you know by definition is not exposed but yeah i've got some not too many oxypores. I'm not a huge fan of oxypores overall, but mycediums and echinophilias, um, God, they're living their best life. I picked up uh, a coral that I had um, agreed to buy, I guess, one on my tour for Black Friday. Um, you know, you've seen kind of some orangish and green streaked uh, chalices before. Think like rainbow style chalice, bright orange, red, more red than orange with bright green and like tons of flesh on it. Oh my God. I cannot believe that was a trade in and how cheap I got it. Just a shade over three digits. Like I couldn't believe it. I keep looking at this coral. I'm like, I remember a certain uh, dealer. I'm not sure if he's still in business, like paying $2,000 wholesale for the coral like it. You know, and just, oh, anyway, the, the chalice uh, coral tank is doing really awesome. Makes me very I saw happy. I saw a really cool rainbow chalice. I just got my latest coral magazine issue in the mail today, and it has some ACI aquaculture pictures, and uh, they had a cool rainbow chalice in there. Um, I, I did go on a little spending spree, um, you know, end of year, so got, you know, got like the the results for work performance and all that good stuff oh, and I was cool. like oh, okay I deserve a little treat and you know again and I thought all right I'm not really big on hyped up corals but you know I can't deny that some of the mushrooms that have become available over you know I guess the last couple of years have been pretty cool so I thought all right I I don't really see them often around here. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I have seen some bounce mushrooms and stuff at uh, my local fish store. but So I ordered a bounce mushroom. Just looks like a rhodactus with little balloons on it, right? The, the OG uh, bounce? Uh, orange and green. I don't know. Well, if it didn't <laughs> have another no name, names. then it's the bounce mushroom. Okay, yeah. It's uh, big, I, big I mean, old it's, orange, it's, orange to green vesicles. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and that's a... In person, it's a pretty cool coral. Um, it is not a coral, um, but it's very cool. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> then I bought um, a original jawbreaker, like the one Mike Paletti, Mark Paletti, sorry, not Mike, Mark Paletti had. Um, yes. yes. I haven't gotten that one yet. And then I ordered a um, one of the newer Eclectus mushrooms. Jawbreakers mm -hmm. with more green yeah, and stuff You're really on a shroom kick. I, I'm, I kind of yeah. surprised. I just thought you wanted to. I, that's why I'm really happy I have them in a separate tank. And that way they can just go bananas in that tank. And I already see like a three foot long display just for them in the future. But I'm kind of it's, in, it's ridiculous that, how much those three mushrooms cost me. Those like when they come in and you're like, wow, that's a lot of money in a very small space. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, when you're when you're kind of going for that softy thing. Those um, three, though, the OG Jawbreaker, the Eclectus, and the original Bounce Mushroom, those were worth it. 
God, they are just so freaking beautiful. Yeah, They're those, really those, neat, yeah. Those are worth it. I can't see myself like paying for jawbreakers because I have a strain of like really orange other discosoma. They're like right in between. They're not like the super thin tissue of typical discosomas, but they're not mm -hmm. like the really fleshy, meaty jawbreaker that you could actually eat. So I already have this rock and I got the rock. It was a trade-in. Oh, that was, was again, the, uh, yeah. I remember you sharing that. It was like, it was like 80 bucks or something. And, yeah. and I got two pieces and they it started shedding, you know, polyps all over the place and I have them everywhere. I'm like, all right, I know what the jawbreaker is, and this is not it. But if you just look at it from a distance, yeah, I got a rock of jawbreakers, or at least discosomas that are as orange as that. So, you know, if one falls in my lap, I'll be all about it. But uh, yeah, they, but but you got some good strains, you know, as far as if you were starting a uh, real shroom collection, you got some really awesome ones. Yeah, it was, I mean, I like I said, I don't normally spend that kind of dough on corals, but it was just... Um you it's know, exciting. It's exciting to find things I that kind of went on our rampage. You know? <laughs> yeah. And um, again, you know, with the intent of, you know, I talked about reducing my lights a little bit and just, you know, once the tank was put together, I got a little bit sidetracked where I, I did pick up a couple of SBS and then I, you know, got more intense lighting and then you start to kind of go down a Best different rabbit hole and then you're plans. like, <laughs> yeah. So I, I backpedaled a bit like, hey, let's go back to the original plan. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is I like, I have a regal angel. I have, you know, I mean, flame angels are pretty reef safe, coral safe, but um, I do like, you know, keeping somewhat risky fish. And so a lot of the lobed LPS, even though I will gamble with some of those, mm -hmm. you know, they may not be in my future. Um, so, right. You know, so speaking what of it is. me angel fish. I haven't told you this, but yesterday I got a handful of Brazilian flameback angelfish from SDCERI. I um, I think I was actually talking to Elliot Lim and he kind of knows what's on my wish list and he gave me a heads up. And it's so funny just almost how virtually identical they are to the African flamebacks, but they're not. <laughs> you know, yeah. the ins instead of being orange top with really navy, navy blue bodies of the African flameback, um, they're a little bit more yellow topped. And one of them is like a yellow, real yellow flame back um, with uh, just ever so slightly lighter shade of blue on the side and then the solid blue tail. And they're a little bit more squared off in their body than the rounded um, African flame backs. And to the casual observer, they're basically the same fish. But to me, I'm like, oh no, that's the Brazilian flame back. And I've been looking for those for a long time. So um, big ups to SDCERI for sending those along. And they're, they're one day through quarantine. So, you know, not given, not getting too attached to them until they've been uh, through a good two to three or four week uh, quarantine, at least a two week isolation and another couple weeks of, of conditioning. But I'm thinking, I got a couple tanks. I got uh, one tank uh, that's my kitchen. I call it my kitchen sink reef because everybody thing that looks good, but it's a little bit too big to be in the coral flats goes in there. And then there's a the mangrove tank with just all leather corals. So I think I'm, uh, you know, I'm hoping I can get them to become a harem in the 10 gallon tank with a ton of hiding places. And um, then I am on the fence of whether I'm going to put them with just the leather corals in the mangrove tank or um, in the kitchen sink tank that has all the different types of corals. If I put them in the kitchen sink tank with all the different types of corals, 
for sure they're going to find something they want to nip on. So we'll see how that goes. I think the mangrove, I'm leaning towards the mangrove tank because that one has a little bit more daylight spectrum, which I feel is going to bring out the blue and the yellow a lot better. Oh, for sure. That would be a, a fish that I would definitely not put under the heavy blue light. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I think you'd appreciate just this slightly esoteric um, version of a pygmy angelfish. Like I said, the African flame blacks have weirdly become um, almost as popular or as widespread and widely available as coral beauties. You know, yeah. and flame angelfish. Um, used but to be like, the other yeah. way around, right? Where the Brazilians mm -hmm. were more common and the Africans were more rare. Yes, yes. Uh, it's so strange that how the supply chains work these days. Yeah. Um, Did you finish talking about what you went and wanted to say about your aquascape? Um, mostly, yeah. The only other thing okay. I was going to add, and you brought up a great point because you you were talking about Elliot, is um, the other thing that's been rummaging through my brain is I've got a. 20 gallon coral kind of quarantine mm -hmm. and I've got a fish quarantine, but then I sat there and I'm, I'm not one that's going to always buy coral, buy coral, right? There's a finite mm -hmm. amount of space. I just want to get things stocked up. And then like the subject we're going to talk about, want to let the tank coast. So I'm sitting there kind of thinking like, well, at some point I will not need to keep uh, those quarantine tanks running. And so I'm trying to rummage my brain around this 60-inch shelf that can support a lot of weight that I built in my basement where I've got all my, you know, other stuff wired up. And I thought, you know, with now the availability of quarantine fish from, I think, I can think of three vendors off the top of my head, and I know there's more. Um, and having had such a good experience with TSM, do I back off on the fish quarantine and just commit to only buying quarantine fish? And then on the coral thing, I don't really need a really big system or I, I don't even need a 20 gallon. I just need like a little 10 gallon where I can mm -hmm. isolate some things for a few weeks. Um, and that would free up that whole area to put something bigger that I can, you know, grow out. Cause the one thing I, I have been having fun is when I have bought a coral I kind of keep it around in the basement for a while till I can get it fragged or split. And then I put a fragment in the big tank and I kind of leave a piece behind. So my coral tank, my quarant coral quarantine tank is turning into a reef tank of sorts, but I also kind of like it as a, uh, always like an arc, right? Where it always it, happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's one, it's fun. And two, if, if, if I lose the coral in the main tank, I have a backup, which I kind of like. So, um, you just recently wrote about the new uh, Acreon 60 breeder. I got one. And uh, did you get one already? I, they're in stock uh, in one of the stores here, and I almost went to pick one up before our talk. But how do you like it? Oh, I mean, I'm not using it for anything. And uh, it was during their dollar a gallon sale. And I'm just like, oh, my God, are they going to be selling these for $60 in the future? Because it was $200, be cool, you know, yeah. full price with tax and all that. Um but I really felt it was important to demonstrate to the reef builders audience that you can make a sump out of anything, right? So mm -hmm. I literally have another sump almost virtually the same size. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm going to start with this sump and start, you know, piecing it together. And the way the tank is put together, or the stand is put together, it's actually not going to be too hard to take off a side panel and, like, slide it out and put a real sump in there in the future if I am so inclined. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's exactly what you think. It's a four foot 40 breeder, which makes it 60, 60 gallons. Um, but you know, God, it, I, you know, I take the inner dimensions of the sump and this other tank. It's 55 gallons. I'm, 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 I'm really ups annoyed that we're still calling tanks by their complete volume, not what they hold mm -hmm. in water. You, you, you know, I'm not even subtracting that top inch um, of the tank actually running, but you know, a 180 gallon tank, uh, once you do factor in that one inch, it holds like 160 gallons, you know, or yeah. 155 gallons. I'm like, how is this okay? <laughs> how are we like a 10 gallon tank? Take the internal dimensions. It's probably eight and a half to nine. You know, but we're just proceeding and, and a lot of very diligent reef keepers don't really account for the rock displacements or they, even if they account for the rock displacement and the addition of their sump, they don't really know the internal volume of the aquarium, right? It's called a 180. Your 180 holds about 20 gallons or 30 gallons less than you think. Anyway, that's a different uh, tangent. Um, but yeah, I, I like it. And I just thought it was a really cool opportunity. <laughs> it's so funny because like, you know, some people are into sneakers or some other folks are into records or fashion. And I just want to be able to say 20 years from now, I was like, I got one of the first ever 60 breeders. <laughs> I'm actually, kind of, so you told me about this. I, would, I remember when I was loading it up, I was like, I would not be getting this tank or even know about this tank if you hadn't told me about it. But uh, yeah, if you know, if the 60 breeder continues to be made and it becomes as iconic and uh, versatile as a 40 breeder has been for decades and decades, I want to be able to say like, I got one of the first ones like I could ever find. So that was pretty cool. It's just yeah, sitting in front I, of the I, tank, but I am committed to getting the 400 gallon at least flowing in some capacity and before reef stock. Oh, cool. Yeah. I, I know uh, a lot of people are waiting to, to see what that tank will become. Um, yeah, for me, uh, I hate 40 breeders. I used to love them, but um, I had two that started to bow beyond my comfort level and you would call Acreon up and they're like, yeah, that's normal. That's fine. But then I had bubbles in the seams and I just didn't like that. I, I, I'm a bit paranoid about that kind of stuff. So I, Absolutely. what I liked about the 60 breeder, like Sipora, I think that's the brand makes a 40 breeder with a center brace. And most reefers hate center braces because of mm -hmm. the lighting shadowing. And I completely get that. But for a budget tank where you're not going to have extra thick glass or perimeter bracing or anything like that, where it's just going to be a cheap tank for whatever. I like that the 60 had a brace. Um, and oh, I like the larger It's got footprint. a brace. All right. It's got a big old fat brace all around the edge and right down the middle. <laughs> but no, I think it'll be really informative to show people like you, you know, whole, I mean, I am really crossing my fingers, not just for myself, but for everybody else that that, tank falls under the dollar gallon sale in the future oh yeah man. um but i really wanted to demonstrate that like yeah you can spend hundreds or a thousand or more on a sump or you can just get a glass box and it could probably you know you know like I, I love a beautiful sump and a beautiful equipment layout as much as the next person but you spend 98 percent, 99 percent of your time looking at the tank not looking at the sump so um this will be a, a cool opportunity sump tank, and it's a perfect mm -hmm. frag tank for for you know especially mm -hmm. if they do the dollar a gallon which i'm not so sure they will but even the, the 75 was 
the seventy-five yeah. gallon why tank. Not, why not do the which sixty? Is then more material, more. It was probably just so new, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't have the their printed material didn't even factor for the sixty breeder. Um, so maybe in the future it will, or maybe it's just you know. Verse. I'm actually quite shocked that Aquion released this size. You know, the Zoomed Low Boy has been kind of filling that that niche, and Aquion, besides like some odd shaped. Um, kind of starter tank sizes like 5 10 15 20 up to about 45 they haven't experimented with the recipe since they bought all glass aquarium right they've been making the exact same tank so to have a 60 breeder as a standard size that really surprised me yeah it was a cool it was a cool little surprise um and you know we we talked about simple reef tanks back a few podcasts ago and i just thought it'd be a fun experiment because it's a decent sized tank. I could put a Tunzi skimmer in the corner and a Tunzi comm line in the other corner. So now you've got surface skimming, you've got a place to put media, you have protein skimming, and then throw a heater in and throw some lights on top and you got essentially an all-in-one reef tank, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or just put an overflow filter on the back. You know, obviously you can get even more simple, but it just, I, I like to... I get, rom- you know, I romanticize certain ideas in my brain when I'm sitting around and, and that one got in my head because that's essentially how I run my 20 gallon. So just scale it up and have a little more fun with it. Anyway, that's probably more than we needed to talk to about uh, <laughs> a tank from Petco. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no. So just for anyone that's listening, I reached out to Central Pet, Inquion, and a bunch of stores. And my understanding is that this is going to be a Petco exclusive for a few weeks. I don't know why, like why bother? But yeah, I don't know. Maybe Petco is the one that asked for it. Maybe it's got like some reptile applications, you know, for They do have a picture of it as a um, terrarium on their site. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if it came around in like a circuitous way. But uh, but yeah, I have no doubt that in the next few years of reef shows, we're going to be seeing 60 breeders pop it up. Maybe not as much as the low boys because the low boys are, you know, a huge surface area and lighter. This thing is heavy duty for sure. But um, all right, that's enough about the 60 breeder. <laughs> well, I think it's a good time to make a little announcement about our first ever live session of retherapy. You want to tell them about it, Mark? Yeah, apparently you convinced me to do this in person at the Aquatic Expo in Atlanta. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm I'm looking forward to that. That'll be fun. Um, I promise you, when you and I are on stage, I won't even notice anyone else. I only have eyes for you, my brother. <laughs> no, it'll be like you and I are just having a session of reef therapy, but together, you know. I thought, I thought room, we were going to do room. it in like a booth, you know, just kind of have fun. Like we're reporting from the sidelines. And then when you mentioned that it was going to be like a talk, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so Yeah, you know, and I think we can, um, without rehashing too much of the topics we've already discussed, um, put together a topic that really just mm, – features and spotlights um, the current state of the aquarium hobby from prices to coral names to gear to trends um, maybe leaning less on what has come before and then kind of really looking forward so it'll be kind of an open-ended topic and uh, you and I will have our notes but I mean honestly we have no idea where it's gonna go until it happens (laughs) but that will be recorded and then syndicated um, after that so if you're in the Atlanta area like Mark is um, 
um, definitely make sure to give a look at um, the Aquatic Expo first weekend of April in Atlanta. I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to it because I'm, I mean, I'm always still a freshwater geek at heart. So, mm-hmm. um, and, but I haven't really been to like a freshwater oriented, I mean, I've never been to Aquashell or anything like that. Um, so I'm just excited to get a good dose of, you know, obviously the reef keeping hobby in person again, but also just to put, put some faces and some, some experiences on the freshwater side, personally speaking, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're such hobbyists in the reef world that we've like turned over just about every stone there is to turn over except for, you know, like new ideas and, and new concepts. And so anytime I take a look at freshwater stuff, I'm an avid freshwater aquarius. I got four or five freshwater tanks going on right now. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's just more novel. It's more mm-hmm. novel. I'm not talking about the aquascaping stuff, but I just, I love geophagus, dwarf cichlids, love my zebra placos, wild angelfish, um, different discus strains. Oh my God. If anybody out there knows where to get some good discus, um, at me any way that you can, because it's weird. It's so strange because right now the discus market is really, um, uh, divided between some very expensive, high quality wild fish and, fairly cheap mass produced uh, domesticated strain i was like man where's the middle ground can i get some f1 or f2s of some wild strains and um you know the fancy uh, domesticated strains are also pretty easy to come across um but i I, I mean if i had a pick i'd do you know some of the one and some of the other but like i I do know that wild discus are like a huge pain because they come in with all the diseases and they've had a rough and tumble life in in the wild um in a way that i don't think saltwater fish experience the same way if saltwater fish has a bad day it gets eaten (laughs) if a freshwater (laughs) fish has a bad day like it loses some fins or gets scraped up or it bonks into something um so anyway, yeah, discus. But it'll be super fun to have both sides. Um, I mean, I've definitely been informing my reef aquarium experience with cross-pollination from horticulture, um, ponds, uh, freshwater aquascaping, and freshwater aquarium keeping. And so, yeah, that'll be a fun time to uh, always see what's happening on the other side of the aisle. Yeah, I think it was a week or two ago I sent you a picture of some crazy Corydoras I'd never seen before. And you were like, oh, yeah, that's this new species, blah, blah, blah. It just shows that even as much as I'm a a freshwater geek, there's still, it's, you know, whenever, for the listeners, whenever you quit keeping freshwater fish or maybe you never did, that hobby didn't stand still. You know, I mean, it's still, if you jump back, it's, it'd be just a shock to some of the, some the of the really cool species thing about freshwater fish is when they discover new species. I don't think there's almost any freshwater fish that they haven't been able to breed. I know the Panak, the very large wood eating placos have been a, a real challenge for many, a number of years, but like 99% of the freshwater fish in the freshwater aquarium hobby are captive raised or they can be raised. Tetras, quarries, cichlids, it's just a matter of finding that little trick. Whereas like saltwater fish, I'm like, uh, yes, yeah, some one person is going to have to dedicate a handful or more years just to get halfway there. <laughs> With a freshwater fish like those funky Corridors, I think it was CW111, um, Zebra Cori. 
you know they're not zebraed as zebra placos but they are really cool with a very tall they're crazy uh, very yeah. flamboyant dorsal remember when those first were available oh yeah they were selling for about a thousand dollars a piece in asia and now the price has come down like three to four hundred dollars per individual captive bred i'm just like all right i i can i can keep an eye on that number and watch yeah. it fall to maybe another year 200 before <laughs> for another three another three or five <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, so um, if you're in the Atlanta area or um, want to come to a different kind of crossover show, um, uh, Aquatic Expo in Atlanta is going to be fun. And Mark and I will be there geeking out on both the fresh and the salt. Yes, sir. So, so today's topic is really interesting because around the new year and around the six month mark, so right between June and July, I really, my brain just kind of clicks and just like, okay, what maintenance have I not done recently? Cleaning all the skimmers, cleaning all the pumps, uh, siphoning detritus from, you know, nether regions. And so for the last two weeks of December and first couple weeks of January, I mean, I was just in full maintenance mode, just doing this, doing that, cleaning this. And just, and it wasn't even like the physical work. It's just the mental work of like keeping track of like, all right, is everything done? We have a spreadsheet now. So we know when everything gets um, uh, completed. Um, but following that, I was just like, man, I don't want to do anything. <laughs> I'll feed the fish and I'll look at the tanks. So I haven't been doing much. And so we're coming up with a topic for today's session. And I was just like, man, I'm not really doing anything. I'm just looking at the tanks. And I was like, oh, wait, if there's anyone who can squeeze an hour out of doing nothing with your reef tank, it's definitely, you know, Jake and Mark of Reef Therapy. <laughs> we, we could talk about doing nothing to your reef tank for a long time. Um, Mark kind of coined the phrase benign neglect in a guest post on Reef Builders, uh, God, it's like five, six, seven years ago. And it's always kind of stuck in my mind because – Neglect implies that you're neglecting something and walking away, but benign means like you got some guardrails. You have some guardrails to make sure that you're not getting out of bounds and like forgetting to do something critical. So in this whole episode, um, we can definitely have a conversation about how important it is to leave your tank alone sometimes. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, and, and there's two approaches, right? One is, um, what are some of the benefits of, of coasting for a while with your tank and, and um, what can you derive out of that? And then the other side of it is um, obviously some design and thought has to be put into, um, I guess, neglecting a tank with good intentions, right? Um, Which I find hilarious because the folks with the most automated tanks, they can't do that. I think they can do that, but there's always something to look after in your automation system <laughs> to keep it running in peak operating condition. So you can't just automate something and walk away. There's always a, there's always a catch. But you know, as a hobby, the whole the definition of hobby is to be is having something to do, and so we're compelled to always be doing something with our tanks. Don't get me wrong about nine months throughout the 12 of the year. I am always doing stuff with my tanks, right? That is literally my job, but you know, one of my best tanks in the studio is a nano reef tank that I just featured, which, um, you know, did really well, uh, with the YouTube algorithm, you know, I got a lot of traffic and I'm just like pointing at corals. I'm just like, yeah, you know, we don't just talking for about 10 minutes about how little we do to this tank. It's crazy how much that resonates with people, but those are some of my best corals in that tank. 
of 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 the corals that I have throughout the tanks, the ones that are in the nano tank that doesn't get dosed, doesn't get tested, has had four or five water changes in two years. Um, that those like the orange frog spawn, green star polyp, the gold torch coral, and a couple others. Those are the best. Those are the best here. Uh, out of all the tanks because in other tanks um they definitely experience you know some yo-yo effect with uh, tweaking lights and flow and chemistry and nutrients and uh, you know you're always trying to push the envelope of what's possible and sometimes you just need to stop stop it yeah wasn't i mean speaking of uh high-tech gear that you have to maintain i, I believe that the guy who um invented the automated alk testing uh, one of the first observations that they actually had was that when you stick your hand in the tank, they actually see alkalinity consumption drop, right? So there's obviously a direct benefit to keeping your hands out of the tank. But um, I think the other side of it is that, you know, you're always striving for stability, but the biggest destabilizer is often you, right? Oh, it's only you. Yeah. Because you're in control of all the equipment and the programming and the scheduling. Obviously, there's extraneous things that can happen, but I fully agree with you. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that we need to be like, uh, you know, vegans and just be like completely hands off and use that as a as a uh, philosophy of reef keeping. Mm -hmm. But it's really important to sit back and understand how does your tank even behave when you're not doing stuff to it. If you're changing the lights one month. Changing the flow in the other, uh, using a new salt a few weeks later, or uh, any interview, if you're constantly just disrupting what's happening, I don't fetishize stability, capital S, um, the same as a lot of other folks. But if you're always doing stuff, how do you know what your tank is doing normally? Yeah. You really, and I mean, how do you just, know which one of those things was the beneficial change or the negative change or, you know, um, hold on, I got to sneeze. I'm fighting a cold. So, it's, I mean, doing nothing or having a long break of, of mostly observation can be really beneficial for the tank and more as important, informative to you. How do you know what your baseline of polyp extension is? You know, how do you know the actual sounds of your aquarium? I go by sounds of my aquariums like so much, like certain sounds I expect to hear, you know, certain pumps get louder over time because they're getting a little clogged and they, they, they give me a little hum and I, I just I can just be sitting watching TV or just scrolling that and I hear the specific hum like oh yeah the Red Sea Reef Wave it's been six weeks they're ready for a clean and other pumps I expect them to be loud like if you're a really diligent listener of, of reef therapy you will occasionally hear this very quick uh, sucking sound because when my Nero fives on my shallow reef tanks are um, super clean, they will periodically you know, vortex, you know, and you will, you will heave that. So when they stop doing that, I'm just like, Oh yeah, it's time to clean the Nero fives, but you need to um, really learn what your, uh, the behavior of your aquarium in all aspects. And the best way to do that is just kind of step back and just really take it all in. Yeah, I think um, it's a good word for that would be like establishing a baseline for your tank, mm -hmm. right? That you can compare against. Um, I know I brought up in the past visual reef keeping, meaning I'm not a 
avid tester. I don't test for everything frequently. I, I watch people's YouTubes and, and they're talking about how they're doing weekly or daily ALK testing and pH testing and my night, you know, or what are your nitrates and phosphates at? I have no, you know, I've been testing nitrates lately just because um, I do, uh, you know, I'm trying to kind of solve the riddle of why a super easy coral is sort of just hanging in there for me now. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally when things are coasting, as you put it, I don't really test much, but I rely heavily on visual cues in my tank, right? We all have those indicator corals that give you um, an assessment of something being wrong. And the only way you you pick up on those observations is if you have a baseline. But also, when, when you do see something is different, and then you start to do the detective work, and you whip out all the test kits, and you do everything, and then you find what the culprit is, now you go, okay, so next time I see my Montipera digitata look like that, I'm going to... I may not be right in assuming, but I'm going to assume that it's, you know, this same thing. And so low now magnesium. I don't. Yeah. Low magnesium. If, you, if you've kept, uh, uh, you know, Montes in a mixed reef um, or a lot of Montes in the same tank, you know that they, I don't know what it is about Montipora, but they do not like that low magnesium. I have used those as a test kit. I've had people call me up or reach out to me for about Montipora problems. And before I even finish reading their sentence, I'm like, test your magnesium, get back to me. Sure enough, you get below 1200, sometimes 1250 because of your test kit, you know, errors. Um, yeah, that's, that's one of them. That's just one of like many different things that you can learn about your tank, um, mm-hmm. just from observation. But yeah, it's like, if you're doing your own research, you need a control group, right? And if you only have one tank, your control group is your tank during that period of time where you left it alone. And we're not even talking about for a very long time. No, I'm saying, I'm thinking like a two week period, right? Month max. You're going to understand um, a lot of different things like you know, what is the weekly or monthly consumption rate of, of additives? That's really informative to know. Like I know a lot of modern uh, aquarium dosers will tell you, um, you know, you can do the math of how often it's, you know, emptying a reservoir if you mix it yourself or you buy certain additives. Um, but that is really informative to know. Like you said, if for some reason um, that shoots up or shoots down, that's a great indicator. But if you don't know that baseline, you're not going to really notice whether your, your, your buffer consumption goes from you know, 100 to 200 mLs a week or vice versa. You, you really got to, you know, people talk about keeping a journal of everything that happens in your tank. I say, just be aware of like the fundamentals. What does your tank usually run at temperature wise? throughout the year and then what does your ph usually run at again throughout the year um so yeah i think there's just a lot to learn about your own reef tank you know you're not stagnant you're not sitting there doing nothing but you're just not messing with stuff you just have to use your eyes your imagination your observation and some critical thinking skills to tie some things together yeah for me too i like if you do have things that you want to change, um, and this is sort of what I'm going through, like I said in the beginning, I fully admit I'm not in a coasting stage at the moment. I'm starting to tinker. But to be honest, that arose out of a coastal phase, right, where mm-hmm. I, I, one, was real busy with work, and that's sort of where my careful or benign neglect comes from is like, I just know that there's a seasonality in my life where there are times where I'm just so freaking busy 
that that thing has to be as autopilot as possible um, at times. But um, I'll have these crazy ideas, but, you know, my impulsive side wants to go do it right away. And a lot of times, like I have a little on my phone, I use the Apple iPhone notes and I just start to write down my ideas of things that I want to change. And then I just let them sit there for a while. I, I kind of proverbially sleep on it more than one night though. You know, I just let them kind of sit there. And what ends up happening is that um, some of the things that I wanted to change, I changed my mind on, right? Absolutely. Um, uh-huh. Other things... Uh, you know, something that I thought was a problem doesn't need to be solved anymore. You know, kind of goes away on its own. Um, totally, totally. Um, and yeah, it just, it, it sort of helps bake those ideas and solidifies those ideas in. And then, you know, I could be blaming X for Y, but then two weeks later, I'm like, you know, the more I think about it and the more I observe, it's not X causing Y, it's, you know, R causing Y. Yeah. And so I, I've liked... You know, I don't, I, I stumbled into this by accident where I'm like, oh, I'm just too busy to do these five things. So I'm just going to write them down so I don't forget. And then a month goes by and I revisit that list and I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? You're not going to do that. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. and, um, that's sort of where, you know, deconstructing the NSA came from. That's where I started to think about my light intensity a bit. You know, I just really been pondering something silly, but it's what keeps me enthusiastic of like, how could I supercharge my tank for um, corals that, you know, people kind of, I don't know, they, they think of them as weeds and, you know, they don't care. Like, I mean, ironically, some of the more challenging corals are doing great, right? But I, I'm curious about, and, and this all is circular, right? Where you started to not accept certain corals in your studio from you, you were not cool with them just dwindling or not doing well anymore. You're like, I mm -hmm. need to understand the why. And that really sparked some questions in me about certain corals in my tank. So, but I just think let, let those ideas bake a bit, you know, don't always impulsively tinker. Dude, you are preaching my freaking religion right now. I feel like anytime I'm given a look, anytime I'm looking at a tank, I can't just look at the tank. I'm always thinking about what should I do? Do I need to clip that coral now? Or do I need to wait a month? Do I want to change up the flow this way? Or do I want to bring lights down? Or do I want to turn the spectrum a little wider? Um, I like to say that I ruminate on stuff. The ruminate is the process of ruminants, such as cows, fermenting the food that they eat um, over a long period of time to extract the most nutrients possible. So I like to ruminate on it. I like to pray on it and just really consider, you know, all the options. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll take a, a long time to come around to doing whatever I was planning. And, uh, you know, when I do it, I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm really glad I considered what it is I wanted to do for so long. Um, absolutely. But then once I start working on the tank, I'm like, all right, now let's do one, two, three, four, five on the list. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I do have a small list of things that I think you can learn yeah. from uh, observing your tank. I just want to bust through these, but you know, what is a usual water level height of your aquarium? You know, like for example, I'll know that um, if the water gets a little too high, my overflow teeth need to be clean, you know, because there's stuff that are growing in it. And I can just see the water level. Like I know where that water line is supposed to be from daily observation. So if it's too high, oh, I must uh, have some clogged filter teeth. That's on our like monthly maintenance schedule. If it's running a little too low, 
guess what? My return pump probably needs cleaning, right? I don't need to sit there and measure the flow of the tank of, you know, the pump coming out. If I know if it's running low, then clearly the return pump needs to be cleaned. Simple, simple observations that will clue you into things about your tank. What is your usual skim eight production? Is it really wet? Is it really dry? How much is it going to put out about a week? If you're cleaning out every few days, you're not really going to be intimately familiar with how much it should produce, right? So if it's running um, a little too wet, you know, maybe your air intake, uh, where, where anywhere along the assembly from the hose to the venturi, um, maybe that's clogged and it's allowing the pump to push more water. Or if it's running a little bit more dry and you constantly have to raise the water level inside the body, um, maybe you need to clean the needle wheel. You know, the needle wheel impeller, as it gets clogged up, is going to pull in a higher percentage of air to water. And, you know... It, reasonably both of these both of those things um need to be clean um what are the typical noises of your aquarium man and the thing is like it's there's a you have people have an innate sense to hear a sound and touch a device and know whether it's coming the vibration is the same that you're hearing you know and i feel like that's really really informative you know, what does your pH usually run at? You know, I've, I feel a little bit guilty for putting it out there that people should aim for a higher pH because it's got people fixated on this higher <laughs> pH issue. I'm like, I'm pretty sure your corals, if your tank is averaging 8.1 on a long enough timeline, all things being equal, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You know, these ideas about pushing envelope that might be more uh, suitable for commercial purpose. Um, here's another really good one. Um, how much and where does the detritus accumulate in your aquarium? That's a good you know, I have, one. Yeah. I have, I have a lot of my flow in the back bottom of my aquariums. So all that stuff um, kind of ends up at the front. Um, so this, that's a kind of unconventional uh, system, but it makes it really easy to suck out and to know when it is. But more specifically, you know, if you have nuisance algaes, hair algae, valonia, bryopsis, enteromorpha, those are going to usually end up in specific places like that will be they're going to concentrate there oftentimes it's a place that your tank can't reach or your other herbivores can't really get to or a, a combination with the detritus accumulation so sometimes you might not even have a real algae problem you just might have one little trouble spot you know an extreme example is the top of your uh, return pump outlet right? It's too high <laughs> and surrounded by flow for your herbivores to get to, you know, and that's an extreme example. But if you have more naturalistic live rock, um, you know, with like a, you know, a little pocket that builds up nutrients, man, you can bet those spores is where they're spilling up. And similarly with uh, cyano and aptasia and vermitid, vermitid snails, man, I, I'm not really battling them. I haven't, I've been really diligent. They're so easy to remove, but I swear, man, I had this one tank where they were, you know, they were kind of endemic to the aquarium and they would always show up first on this one particular ridge of rock. There'd be like no vermitids in the entire tank. And then that ridge would get three. So I didn't have to focus my, my, uh, uh, my snail assassination efforts all over the tank. I just had to look at this one spot. And if I got those three, then they wouldn't really be able to propagate, you know? So little things like that, you won't even discover unless you just put some effort into the observation of your tank while you're not messing with it. Those two, two things might be, not be exactly the same. Um, you know, but yeah. Sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. 
No, I was going to say your nano video um, <clears throat> was a good example of uh, something that I think about a lot. And that's, um, you're talking about observing your tank. Um, those areas where your herbivores can't reach the output of your return pump or even... Inside your Vortec or propeller pump. Yeah, uh on the old tank, I used to have gyre sitting up pretty high. So similar, like they'd grow little turfs at the top. And usually, you know, so so I always took that as the two indicators. One, I'm growing the good kind of algae, the algae that things like to eat. Mm-hmm. And whenever I had um, issues with some of the more primordial soup, as I call it, the dinos, the diatoms, the cyano, you know, I mean, there's already a lot of talk about your nutrients bottoming out, but... When my refugium, Calerpa, Chato scrubber is not growing well, when I don't see turf algaes in those hard to reach areas, that always coincides with me having that primordial soup issue, right? Stuff that nobody wants to eat. And uh, when I am able to shift the balance back to turf algaes, and I hate to say it, even Valonia, then I know that I'm not really having much battles with cyano dino diatoms anymore um and the problem with valonia is i mean there's stuff that eats it right uh certain cell types uh, cell fintangs uh mithrax i've had some mixed results with um you and i've experimented with the uh, brightwell razor there, there's way to ways to tackle it but in a nano reef you know where you're going to have i mean so so my my thing about algae is you can't eliminate algae from a reef tank right you can only shift the balance of you can not balance the competitive advantage towards the kind of algae that you can manage so turf algaes you know your tangs are going to graze that down your your um, turbo snails are going to love that crap urchins eat it that's a lot easier to manage with herbivory, right? And we've talked about if you remove herbivores from a reef, everything goes crazy. All those turf algaes grow. So when I saw your nano and you were talking about a little bit of a valonia problem, like I don't see that as a problem because you you can manage that. But that's just kind of a fact of life, right? Like I think if and you for try anyone to, listening right now who is has a newer tank yeah. and you haven't or you're seeing valonia, it explodes before it goes down. It does. It, and it yeah. can, I've had a tank that exploded with it and it was brutal. And I took every rock out and I scrubbed it's them. It's shocking. And, it's disturbing yeah. to see. <laughs> and this is one of those things you, without doing anything else, you might walk away and come back and be like, how was there less Valonia than two weeks ago? <laughs> I just, I personally humbly think if you try to beat those green algaes with nutrient removal or, you know, you're, you're scrubbing your phosphates out and you're carbon dosing. I've been down that road and it always mm-hmm. ends up in Cyanoville. <laughs> so I, to me, Yo. um, from an observation, going back to the coasting, I always kind of feel like if I've got some turfs growing in some hard to reach areas, that just means that my tank is where I want it to be. And it's jiving and it's a little ecosystem and things are, Things are going to happen, right? And sure, you if I remember- count yourself blessed if these nuisance algae, aptasia, vermitids are concentrated in one place, it makes them really yeah. easy to target. Yeah, and if I removed all my herbivores, I'm sure that stuff would spread, right? But mm-hmm. that's that's when I know I'm kind of in a happy place. Like if if 
all that crap is clean of algae, then honestly, there's something else going on that's wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, a really cool observation about cyano was, uh, you know, for the last six months, I've been pretty diligent about nitrate dosing. And I know roughly what my nitrates are in 20 aquariums. Um, and I have this one aquarium that I've just don't have enough fish in. And I haven't mixed, I have plenty of potassium nitrate. I haven't mixed any in a while, so I haven't been dosing it. And this one tank, what do you think is happening with this tank that has zero nitrates? Cyano. Yep. I have weird patches of cyano. Like a little bit is expected in any of every reef tank. But this one reef tank, I'm, I'm like looking around like there's cyano over here, there's cyano over there, cyano around this coral. I'm like, what the heck? What is going on in this tank? And I'm like... Oh, the nitrates are zero. I'm not saying you raise your nitrates to get rid of cyano, but um, you know they have nitrogen-fixing bacteria, so they're able to use the other nutrients. And so there's a really good explanation to be made for having this. It's it's not a problem. It's just I don't have it. There's so much water flow in all my tanks, but this one system that has been um, just uh, nitrate challenged, <laughs> if you can say, it's got uh, just uncharacteristic spots of of cyano and the only reason i was able to notice that is because i'd pretty much you know just coasted that tank for about a month i'm like nothing else has changed other than the nitrates have really kind of been you know 0.00 for about 30 days yeah yeah it's i mean somebody who studies this stuff is going to totally scream at me in the comments but um, my, my takeaway was always you, people talk about red field ratio, but the, the explain it like I'm five way to talk about it is, you know, they need these building blocks, right? They need carbon, mm-hmm. nitrogen, phosphorus. And if your nitrogen is zero, then an organism that can fix nitrogen, atmospheric nitrogen has a competitive advantage. Like, Hey, I got this. I can get it from somewhere where you guys can't get it. Whereas can if you, you imagine talking to your 20 year old self and telling yourself to treat cyano by raising the nitrates. (laughs) Well, all these talks about people saying reef keeping is harder today. And I'm like, is it, you know, and now they're talking about, Oh, these our old lights had UV in them, which I, I don't necessarily agree with that idea, but maybe our tanks were just a little dirtier and we were battling more manageable things. Mm-hmm. Our tanks also ran hotter. You know, I just, it's all about competitive advantages of different um, algae. And I know cyano is not an algae, but, you know, of these microorganisms. And so, mm-hmm. but that goes back to just knowing your tank, right? And and having, seeing what could be a mild, because I mean, a little patch of cyano ain't the end of the world, right? Nothing, not even, I would just, I don't even, doesn't even register for me. Yeah. Unless it's encroaching or getting any close to any kind of coral. If it's just in one little area, dude, I might, that thing might just go unnoticed for another two months. It's not going to grow out of control. It's just not. But I, no, I think this has been a really informative discussion of uh, letting your reef tank coast. And the thing is, you know, again, if you've been in the hobby for a year or two or five, you know, you might not have left your reef tank alone a single day in your reef keeping career. Um, but Letting your tank coast and really paying attention to the observing the parameters of your tank, the performance of your equipment, the behaviors of your fish, the reactions of your corals, um, that's a awesome dry run for leaving your tank alone. Mm-hmm. Right? We all want to travel. Good we all point. We all want to go somewhere. And if you do these um, trial runs where you just 
just kind of hands off and just see what happens for a few days or a couple weeks. Um, two, one, you're going to be more comfortable leaving your aquarium knowing that it can coast without you looking at it for up to a couple of weeks at a time. I feel like two weeks is kind of like the sweet spot. Um, but two, it's also going to inform you on uh, what you might need to do to kind of fill in those gaps to feel comfortable to leave your tank alone for a couple of weeks. You know, I do not lose sleep. When I'm out of town, um, I miss my tanks. I don't worry about them. I miss them. I have no concerns that something or other is not getting done. Um, if I leave for a long weekend, there's no one watching watching them. You know, that's because I have fewer pieces of equipment, fewer, yeah. more critical pieces of equipment to, to perform a specific function and not a lot of little finicky devices um, that need uh, a lot of looking after. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point is the whole idea of um, how much intervention do you have to take on a tank in a two-week period um, and what are the pieces of equipment that could require intervention? Not, you know, you may pick a two-week window and everything goes fine, but, you know, when you are, um, when you are busy, you know, what, what are the things that could break down? And then use that to apply towards, well, what if I want to go on a two-week cruise, right? And um, in terms of designing a carefully neglected tank, you know, don't overcomplicate it. Don't pick a methodology that requires a lot of intervention. Don't put gadgets on your tank that require a lot of maintenance, right? Um, I don't, I, I've seen some people like put little videos together of, you know, here's what you should do if you go on vacation and for your reef tank. And their level of um, attention, you know, having a tank sitter and this and that, it, it's way more complex than anything that I do, right? I just above, put an automated fish feeder and I set the skimmer to skim dry. And I, you know, obviously I checked out my dosing containers and everything is full, but then I, I go. Um, mm -hmm. I do like having a controller to intervene remotely uh, personally, mm -hmm. but it's a very simple tank, right? If you're doing... Um, some kind of dosing where you're micro dosing all these little trace elements every day from little dropper bottles and you go on a two week vacation. What happens there? Are you going to hire Nothing. somebody or Nothing ask somebody? Happens. Well, but are you going to ask dose somebody those things, to do that? Right. You no. Know, when, when you dose those things, your corals do incrementally better. When you don't dose those things, they, they're just fine. They're just fine. <laughs> and what's you know, the maintenance on those auto testers, right? I, I, I get mixed stories on those, you know? Um, some good, some I don't not think, so good. I don't think anyone's run a single auto tester two years and uninterrupted. I'm not even talking about uh, refilling the reagents or whatever. But it's to me, it's just not the solution. There's so many moving parts, but don't want to get into that too much. Um, but yeah, it sounds very interesting to have a session of reef therapy where you talk about not doing anything to your reef tank, like how important and how informative it is. Um, yeah, I hope uh, everybody has gotten something out of it even if you're into your reef tank um it could just be a fun exercise uh a very informative exercise of your your personal reef tank like well how does your reef tank behave your own i have uh you know about 20 tanks I, uh, you know one thing about having so many tanks when i set up a tank 
uh, for the first time, man, I'm not in love with it. I'm not like, you know, committed a relationship to it in, in my uh, mind share uh, for about three to six months, sometimes up to a year because I don't know how it's going to behave. I don't know how the corals are going to react. Some, I mean, some, some kind of corals I do, um, but you know, just let it coast, let it run. Um, there's times to really be involved with your aquascape, your coral placement, your, you know, nutrients and your trace element additives and all the things. And there's obviously times to just sit back and just let it go. You know, hopefully you've set everything in motion that you don't have to babysit it five times a day or even five times a week. Those are the best tanks, man. If, you, if you've seen these um, old school reef tanks or even current awesome displays, I'm telling you, those things are not, you know, they are set a certain way. And I want to give a shout out to the service guys. I was about to say service, maintenance tanks are a great example of this. Maintenance guys and service companies, I think they are some of the best reefers in the hobby today. They had to figure out an overarching recipe to see a reef tank two to four times a month. They're probably once a week is kind of like the usual for tanks that get professionally maintained. But these guys, they have to figure out how to do everything they need to do once a week within one to two or three hours. And they're not going to see that tank for another week. And they do not want to get a phone call. <laughs> they do not want to get a phone call from the client um, about how that tank is maintained. But definitely, I, I really feel there's a lot more to be learned from these aquarium service companies and how they um, automate the tanks in ways that are going to not cause them to get a phone call. I've talked to a lot of, of maintenance guys, and um, most of them um, are not all about the controllers. There's a lot of controllability built into our aquariums, and if you you know engineer the system in such a way, um, you really won't need to have the fallback. Now, to your point about having that remote um, access to things, I have remote access to just about everything. Everything is cloud. Everything is uh, Wi-Fi controlled. So I don't need a controller to perform that function, but that function is really important. It is really nice to be able to fire up the camera and just kind of know what needs to be done. And just from my phone, um, I do have pages and pages of apps. <laughs> I do have pages of apps to make changes as needed. Um, but yeah, I hope this has been a really, I, th I think it was kind of uh, serendipitous that we talked about negative space aquascape um, as a prelude to um, not doing stuff to your reef tank um, because uh, the absence of doing something is also doing something to your tank. I'm not trying to sound philosophical, but there, there's truth in that. Let the corals be and um, they will acclimate and adapt to uh, what you've provided for them. Yeah, I it was uh, kudos to you for bringing this subject up, and yeah, you brought up some really good points. I really, uh, I really dig the um, the analogy to a dry run of you know you going out of town and stuff like that. I mean, there's there's so many benefits beyond getting to know your tank better, getting to be more in tune when something's wrong, um, and also just having a comfort level of knowing that if life gets in the way, you know, it could, it may not even be a vacation. It may be just something bad happened, you know, and, and you got to take care of your family. You got to reprioritize your time. Um, somebody's not feeling well, whatever, you know, uh, mm -hmm. work, something blew up at work, knowing that, you know, your tank's going to handle it just fine because you, you, you've 
you've purposely gone through that dry run and you know what to look for. You know which minor maintenance items you do need to stay on top of. And it may yeah. also um, help you reevaluate. And like I said, write down that list of changes. You might find yourself saying, I don't want this high maintenance gadget on my tank anymore. You know, you may start to make changes to simplify and, and make your tank Streamline. more resilient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Good speaking talk, of which, man. I did the opposite. I had my first electronic uh, auto top-off device in like what? seven years. Yes. Yes. Hell is Mr. freezing Float right valve? now. What happened? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just test. I'm just reviewing this new product from Auto Aqua. It's a hang on back kind of all in one, really condensed um, ATO solution, and I installed it onto the Nano Reef tank. Um, not because it needed it, but just because you know I want to keep my finger on the pulse of stuff. And uh, today we were just taking bets of like, I have a like seven or eight gallon auto top off reservoir I've had for years. Fits perfectly in the bottom uh, stand of the Red Sea Reefer Nano. And we're like, yeah, I don't think we're going to be re topping off this tank until like July because it has a lid, you know, over the, the most part of, of the tank. So very little evaporation. It doesn't use up more than like a gallon a month, you know, about a liter a week. Um, so, but this is actually a small stepping stone into, I can add a little bit of minerals. Like I can do, I can do like, let's say like a triple dose of calcium buffer and alkalinity Sorry, calcium buffer and magnesium to the reservoir and that's going to be dispensed over the next four months what was the stuff uh, not the calcium formate not the all for reef um but um the same company used to have like a powder it was like bio calcium oh, or something like yes. that yes tropic marin bio calcium that was the first additive i ever used Put some I of that ever in that. used. I remember you'd mix it up and just let it bubble off. I don't know what the CO2 was about. That was before, you know, I had any kind of formal chemistry training, but we'd mix it up outside the tank and let it bubble off and then pour it into the aquarium. And that's like that and uh, Coral Vital. That was the two things you needed to add to your tank and nothing else. So I, I have a question for anybody that has, um, what is um, the Fluval Evo tanks? Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I have a spot where I just want to put a tiny tank, but I hate carrying jugs of water, right? So I've always positioned aquariums in my house in a way that I could run a line for my RO uh, trash can and just dose it in and not ever have to carry. I hate, I had tanks where I'd have to carry a bucket of water up the stairs and I'm done with those days. But I'm curious <laughs> if anybody has this tank and is listening what is the EVAP? And I know that varies on where you live, but um, what is the EVAP with the stock hood, the stock light, everything covered up? Because um, I remember the old bio cubes. I had like a little 14-gallon bio cube where I just had, a, I think, a jawfish or something in there. for, And that thing never evaporated. Um, so if anybody can comment on what the EVAP is on and if it's good, like if it's once a month, you got to throw some water in the back chamber, maybe I'll put one in a very remote part of my house. If not, you know, if it's something I got to do every few days, like screw that noise, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, no, that's, so that's a that, question. That's a, 
that's a fair. But uh, but yeah, if you guys have any uh, comments for us, um, we're always taking a look at uh, the YouTube channel, and we're really really excited about having a live session of Retherapy the Aquatic Expo um, first weekend of April in Atlanta, Mark's hometown. God, I haven't seen you personally. Um, I guess since last summer, but before that, it was a long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it's going to be really fun to uh, just really talk pure reef ideas and techniques and field your questions and ask you some of our own. Um, so we're really looking forward to uh, interacting with our listeners um, at that event. So big thanks to Mazna for inviting us to perform the special session of reef therapy. Mark, I, I don't know anyone else who could talk about not doing stuff to your reef tank for <laughs> an hour, but I think we, we pretty much nailed it. And I think, I really think this one, you know, everything else we've talked to and discussed are, are um, really subjective, but this one is going to be a little bit more in the philosophical um, territory of like, Hey man, let your tank coast. That's, that's kind of the point. That's kind of. Yeah. The, and so. I think we always try to go into it a bit philosophical where I don't, we're not trying to give complete, you know, do as I say, we think this is the best way to do something. It's more just, you may agree, you may disagree with some of the points, but just hopefully it, it garners some thought provoking, uh, things, you know, like it, it makes you, it makes people think about things, whether they agree or disagree. Like I, I'm mm -hmm. good with comments that say, Hey, I disagree as well, because I just enjoy the discussion and I enjoy the deeper level of thinking about, methodologies and everything you know just while you're not messing with your reef tank make sure to go back and listen to the other 32 sessions of reef therapy that'll give you something to do and have some conversations and do some learning and read a book a physical tangible book about reef aquariums so um mark thanks so much for joining me on the session of reef Thank therapy you, and we'll see you guys on another session very soon later guys <laughs>